talk to you uh, about really what's the secret to survival. It's the secret to provision. It's the secret to how to open up the door for God to work in our lives and kind of give us that sense of enoughness. So pull out your little uh, worship folder there, if you will. In there, I've got our Bible passage. You can look in your Bible if you want to 1 Kings 17. We'll start with verse 7. Let me just read it for you and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Interesting passage out of the Old Testament, but I think it applies to us all these thousands of years later because God's trying to show us a key. He used these true life stories in the Old Testament to kind of key us in to some some factors about how to live the Christian life today. Many years later, Jesus himself said of this widow in this story that she showed great faith. So let's kind of dig into this, especially the widow's story and, and I think it's going to show us some things, how, how basically God does things for us, how he works in our lives if we're willing to step out and believe and serve even when we don't have the resources to do it. Let me just kind of explain the story a little bit and then we'll kind of get the picture. It starts out by saying, sometime later the brook dried up. Here's what's happened. Elijah the prophet has come on the scene Israel is far from God and God shows Elijah he says I'm going to get their attention I want to bring a drought on the land so that I can get their attention and Elijah stands before the king and says there's going to be no rain except by my word and it didn't rain for three years and six months I mean we're talking about a drought that just covered the whole land of Israel and then the surrounding land it was a really tough time no rain no crops and so there's this drought going on and then God leads Elijah to go down to this little brook and this little brook for some crazy reason just continued to have water for a long time and and as Elijah's there God takes care of him he provides for him he's by this little brook everything else has gotten dry but this little brook just keeps kind of running and, and and has water and then it says that at some point the brook dried up and basically 
when we look at the prophet Elijah in this, he's in the middle of God's will, he's trusting God, and yet there's a drought. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt a drought, maybe in your spiritual life? And, and you're going along and you feel like you've been trusting God, but then all of a sudden all the feelings just kind of go away, and, and it just feels like God's a million miles away, and you're trying to figure it out. There are droughts in every area of our life. In baseball, I have my lucky Astro shirt on today because they're going to need it tonight, right? In baseball, they call it a slump when you have a drought. And everybody has a slump sometimes. Sometimes a whole team looked like they had a slump in one World Series game, right? But it's like uh, even the great Mickey Mantle had a slump. I was watching uh, the, the Dodgers rookie struck out four times the night before last. Unfortunately, he didn't do that last night. But... Um, it said he was the youngest guy except for one person to strike out four times in a World Series game. But the youngest guy was Mickey Mantle, the great Mickey Mantle. And I was looking back over some of Mickey Mantle's uh, career and he, had the, he, he was just an amazing hitter. But he had slumps. And one time in the 1950s he was going through this terrible multi-game slump and in one game, not in the World Series, he struck out three times straight and this little boy came over to him it was Yogi Berra the, the great manager's son he was just a little bitty kid and he came up to him and Mickey Mantle's got his head in his hands he had just struck out three times and he looked tenderly into his eyes and Mickey Mantle was expecting you know something pretty good from this kid and the little kid just said you stink <laughs> you ever felt like that you know it's just like I stink this is bad this is not good I I'm not well, we get in these droughts, and sometimes these spiritual droughts, it just feels like, the, where's God? What's going on? I don't understand what you're doing. But one of the things I've realized about God, you see, it's really not faith if you always feel God right there beside you. If you feel him and you know that he's there and, you, and you've got, you're just welled up with all this emotion, it doesn't take faith. God allows us to grow as his children, kind of takes the training wheels off sometimes. He, he, he allows us to let, the, he allows the feelings to leave. And he says, now this is time, this is when you get to practice faith. This is the time you get to make God smile by being his little son or daughter, even when you don't feel it. Even when the feelings are not there. One of the things you can count on in this parched and thirsty world of ours is that there's going to be droughts. And sometimes we... Start to count on the little brooks. You know, you wonder if Elijah had started to depend on the brook a little bit more than even thinking about it was God behind all of that. Maybe for years you developed a friendship and you've counted on that friendship to get you through the tough times and somehow that friend failed you and this drought comes in. Maybe it's a marriage and you've always thought and prided yourself in your marriage and then suddenly it begins to fall apart and a drought comes maybe it's your health and you've been healthy as a horse all your life and you just you know going strong and going after it and all of a sudden your health fails you and a, a, a drought comes in in that area or your finances you see you can count on the fact that we're going to have droughts that the brook is going to dry up in so many different areas that's something you can count on in the world and God knows that. And he wants you to depend, on, to depend on him and not on these other things. Because he's the only one that is the fountain 
of living water. And he doesn't dry up. But it's interesting in this particular passage, why did the brook dry up? It tells us why right here in the passage. It says, because there had been no rain in the land. Why was there no rain in the land? Because Elijah had prayed that there would be no rain in the land. This time the brook dried up in answer to Elijah's prayer. And I think sometimes that's what's happening. Have you ever said, God, I want to know you better. I, 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 I want to be more like you. Those kind of things. Sometimes God allows the brooks to dry up. Let me tell you, parents, uh, just a word to you right now. If you have teenage children or grown children and, and they seem like they're far away from God right now and you've been praying, God, do whatever it takes to bring them back to you. Sometimes their brook's going to dry up and, and, and you're going to see them go through a really, really difficult time. I want to urge you not to try to step into the middle of that and save them. Because sometimes it's God doing exactly what you've asked God to do. And you just have to stay on your knees and keep trusting him. Do what it takes, whatever it takes. So we see that in this. But then the brook is dried up. And Elijah, he doesn't panic. He's just waiting for the next word. And then it says in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. This is a strange word from God because Zarephath is outside of Israel. It's outside of uh, you know, the kingdom of Israel and it's in the, one of the pagan lands. In fact, it's where some of the, the wicked queen that had come into Israel and was ruling at the time where she came from actually. And he says this, I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. When you look at that word directed, you kind of almost think it's like God saying to the widow, hey, I want you to go and supply the prophet with food. But I don't think that's what it was. I don't think the widow knew that God had directed her there. I think the widow was just going about her regular life and she was about to have a divine appointment with the prophet of God because God had planned it all out. He had worked it out. You're not here by accident this morning. There's a divine appointment for you. God has directed you here. You're here for a reason. And that's the same thing that he did with the widow. And God basically says to Elijah, I've directed a widow there and she's going to provide for you. And Elijah's probably thinking, seriously, a widow? Because back in this day, they were so dependent uh, uh, upon their men. And usually widows, orphans, they were really poor. They weren't cared for. It, it was almost as if I, if I said to you, I've got a word from God for you this morning. I know that you're really struggling financially. And here's what I want you to do. Just keep walking down 290 till you find the first homeless person under a bridge. And ask them to take you in and care for you and feed you and, and house you. And you'd be going like, that doesn't make any sense. That's kind of what God is saying to Elijah here. So it says when he came to the town gate. He sees a widow there gathering sticks. Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? She sees he's a prophet. She sees he's a Jew. She sees that he's a foreigner. And, and just in his garb and the way he's dressed. And probably the way that someone might defer to him. She understands that he's a prophet of God. And, and she goes to get him a drink. But as she's going he calls out and a piece of bread. And she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Uh, Laura was asking me 
uh, is that, it sounds almost like a, a curse word, right? Like, as surely as you're, I, but I don't even have a God to swear to. I don't even have a God I believe in. So as surely as your God lives, I don't have it, you know? I don't have to give what you have, what you're asking me for. In fact, her plan in life is simple. She said, I've got a little bit, tiny bit of oil, a tiny bit of flour. I'm going to get these sticks I'm gathering and make a tiny little fire. And I'm going to make a little piece of bread for me and my son. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. Now that's a pretty simple plan. I don't know if she meant they're going to commit suicide because she couldn't bear to watch her son starve to death in front of her or they're just going to die of starvation or what she meant. But it, it, it's really, a, you, you got to put yourself in her place. It's a tough time. In Burundi, where we're working, it's been a really tough time of late because there's been a real drought going on and it's such an agriculture, agricultural society there in Africa in that little tiny country. And some people are starving. They found several that have starved to death even in their own homes as they've gone in and, and found them there. Whole families starved to death. One of the nurses was driving back from our clinic that, we, that you built there and that has made such a difference with uh, easing the malaria epidemics and things that go through there. But one of the things they were trying to help people in the midst of all the drought too they saw a family on the side of the road, a man and a woman, and they looked like they were starving to death. And they got closer, and they also found that there were two little babies tucked up under the bushes who were starving to death. And the mom said, I couldn't stand to watch them die. So I had to just put them up under there so I wouldn't have to watch them as they faded out. We were able to pull all of those kids out, get them back to the clinic, get that whole family back, and they're thriving today, and I'm proud of that. But it's a difficult, difficult thing that this widow and her son are going through on the verge of starvation. They've reached the end of the line. And Elijah hears all of this and his response to me is kind of strange. First he says, don't be afraid. Which would be a little incongruent to me. Like, I'm going to eat this, go home, die. Great, don't be afraid, right? Right? That doesn't sound like something normal that you would say. And then he says, go home and do as you have said, which at first I would mean, go home and die or what, you know? No, go home and make the little bread cake. But first I want you to make a little small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it back to me. And then make something for yourself and for your son. Now the widow had a decision to make at this point because she's at the end of her resources she doesn't and, and then Elijah's saying I need you to serve and she has to make some kind of decision here I want you to write this down I put a blank there for you we don't serve because we have so much to offer we don't serve God because we have so much to offer him have you ever been around someone that's almost acting like well isn't God lucky to have me right I mean, man, if it wasn't for me, he's not lucky to have us. He doesn't even need us. He has messengers of fire that come and bow down to him. They move at the speed of light. Every whelm. He doesn't need us to sing to him. He's created beings, angels, that their whole body is somehow an instrument. Not just their voice. What that must sound like. What we're going to hear in heaven 
when we realize all the things that God has created and yet he loves us so much he allows us to have the chance to serve also as his little sons and daughters and he does something he gives us a choice he gives us a godlike power a po- the power of choice but we, we we don't serve because we have so much to offer another thing we don't serve because the timing is right write that down you know I'm going to get it all together and when everything's together when I finally get everything together I, I'm going to I'm really going to live for God I'm going to serve God I'm going to do what but right now I'm so busy and or right now I'm so mentally and emotionally depleted yeah you're always going to have issues like that that's what it means to be alive Scott Peck eminent psychiatrist he said life is difficult and when we realize that it's difficult somehow it doesn't seem quite so difficult have you got that yet you keep waiting for life to get easy you know you if I can just get over that next hump this you know what's on the other side of that it's like you get over that hump and then there's like this mountain or something right you just it just keeps going that's life and God's saying I want to sustain you in the midst of it I want to do some things in the middle but you've got to you've got to learn what life is really like and you've got to make decisions about that I I thought it was interesting that Elijah said go home and take your little bit of stuff and make a bread cake for me first if I'm the widow I'm going like for real dude you know like I said I've got just this little bit and you're you sound like a television evangelist or something, you know? Like, like you're saying, I know you've only got $100 and you're down to your last $100. Just put your hand on the TV and send that $100 to me and watch what happens, right? And it's like, really? For real? But see, Elijah, he's a true man of God. He's not saying it to get something for himself. He's saying it for the widow and for her son because God has already told him, I'm going to provide for you during this time of drought through her. And so he's already got a word from God. And some of us, you know, when I'm saying, I want us to serve together, I want us to do this together, I know it's easy to be cynical. I'm one of those guys that, you know, I can lean into cynical pretty easily. Like, what's the thing behind this? Does Mark just need people to serve? You know, what's, what's going on? But the truth is, this is a... A deep principle of God that when we do this things begin to move and change in our life another thing we don't serve because we feel like it we don't serve because we feel like it I imagine this widow did not feel like it at all see a lot of times we wait for these emotions to come and and that's what we think faith is some kind of emotion just like we think love is some kind of emotion but Faith is not an emotion and love is not an emotion. Faith is action that we do whether we feel like it or not. When the widow went home and didn't feel at all like making that extra bread cake for Elijah and she did it, that was, Jesus said, great faith. So it's not about feelings. Also we don't serve because we have the inner resources to do so. And this is one of the biggest things I want to get across this morning. Is this widow was depleted. She was depleted. Mentally, emotionally, 
physically. She was going to watch her little baby, her little son, die. That was her plan. You don't get much more depleted than that as a mama. She had lost her husband at some point. That had lost all of her protection and all of her covering in this day. She was not even living in the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, at least, the law said, take care of the widows. Take care of the orphans. But she's living in this pagan land where they did none of that. You know, it's interesting to me. We we don't realize how much the Judeo-Christian ethic has affected us in America. As as there's so much charity that goes on. and, and, And so many times that you see people that are struggling being given money or food or something like that. When I lived in Mexico City as a missionary... Everybody just stepped over the beggars in the street. Nobody really gave them anything. They would sit there and beg and starve to death. You could almost watch them right there in the street. Hundreds of thousands of little street kids running around trying to make some kind of ends meet with no family. And, and people just ignored them like they weren't even there. That's what this widow's plight was like. So basically she literally says... I've got two sticks. I'm going to take these two sticks. And and it's kind of a saying. It's kind of like I don't have two sticks to rub together. She's saying, I've got two sticks. That's all I've got. But when you take those two little sticks in her hands, it's just the end. It's the last of everything. But in God's hands, everything changes. In fact, Jesus, he died on two sticks, didn't he? God uses two sticks to save the world on the cross. God can do anything with the little resources that we have. So it goes on. She goes back and she does what the prophet said. And it says real simply in the Bible. I love how the Bible just kind of understates. Because I would be like having all kinds of exclamation points. And like, and no way. Look what happened. But it just goes. So there was food every day. For Elijah and for the woman and for her family. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Write this down. We serve simply because God asks us to serve. He asks us to. And faith is obeying what he asks us to do. And the results are nothing short of a miracle. When we do what God asks us to do, and we simply do it, the Bible would speak it very simply. Of course, God asked you, you did it, and here's what happened. Without any fanfare, without any big deal, this is how it was meant to be. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry. It's interesting, God never sent huge drums of oil or large Bags of flour to the widow, did, did, did he? It's not like all of a sudden all of these you know, things started coming in. He just gave them each day for that particular day exactly what they needed for that day. And isn't that what Jesus said? Pray, give us this day our daily bread. One of the things that you'll find is when you obey God and you serve, that there's this enoughness that begins to happen many of you in this room you've already experienced that you are experiencing that but some of us we've never laid that foundation 
We've never done that. We've never stepped out to obey and serve. And I want to give you the chance to do that this very morning. And we're going to have a chance to do that at the end of the service as we tandem, as we walk that walk through that with you. But we've got to serve, whether we feel like it or not. That's where the sense of enoughness comes in. That's where the, the, the survival comes in. That's where the provision comes in. And it's not usually some giant thing that comes in and just floods over us. It's little by little by little. There's just enough. Just enough. I mean, the widow, she would pour out the flour and the oil and make the little cakes for her son, for herself, for Elijah every day. And then... When she looked back, there's just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour in there, again, for the next day. And she would do that the next day, and she'd look back, and there's still the same little bit of oil and flour. It, it's, it, it was a miracle, an ongoing miracle. In 1949, there was a GI that returned from uh, the war, and, World War II, and, and his name was Robinson, and on every American highway, you would see all of these GIs thumbing a ride, trying to get back to home. Well, when Robinson got back home, he realized that his mom was dying. The doctors had said her kidneys, there's something wrong with her kidneys, and she needs a blood transfusion to get this thing turned around. But her blood type was AB negative, and that was a really, it still is, a really rare blood type. And they didn't have blood banks, they didn't have... You know, airplanes that could fly in the, the blood all over the country. They weren't doing any of that kind of stuff at this time. And so, basically, none of the family was a match. So, she was going to die. He was going home from the hospital, just having visited his mom. And thinking, I just came back from this awful war. So glad to be home. And I can't believe that this is going on. And on the way home, back to talk to the family. Get them ready for the mom's passing. He saw a young GI thumbing, and he didn't feel like picking him up at all. But he said, you know, I know it, I, I'm just, I, this is what I need to do. And he just stopped, picked him up. He didn't even ask his name because he was so distraught. And, and as Corporal Robinson just kept on heading back toward the family and toward where this young GI needed to be dropped off, the guy could tell that something was wrong. He said, what's wrong? And he said, my mom's dying. And he explained the situation. He told her about the AB negative blood and the, got real quiet in the car and suddenly the young man just held out his dog tags to him and on there it had his name and it had blood type AB negative. And he said, let's turn back around and go back. This was 1949. His mom didn't die until 1996. Yeah. Because of this young man giving the blood transfusion and he thought what if I hadn't stopped what if I hadn't served what if I hadn't done that Henry Nguyen was a, a, a great preacher and he had a, a, a close friends with some performers that were trapeze artists and he said that as he got to talking with them it, it was interesting because they knew so much about so much many different areas of life but one of the things they, they told him, he said, if you're a flyer, that's what you call the one who lets go and, and does whatever stunt, there's a certain way that you respond. And if you're the catcher, there's a certain thing that you do. 
And they said, one of the things that you never try to do if you're the flyer, you don't try to catch the catcher. You just let go, do your thing, and let the catcher catch you. Don't ever try to help him. You're not, it won't work. You let the catcher catch you. I believe that that's what God's trying to say to us right now. He's saying, I know you don't feel like letting go. You don't feel like you have the resources to do this. But what I want you to do is I want you to step in to service. I want you to begin to serve and watch my miracle come moment by moment by moment as I start to change some things deep inside of you. As I start to change some things around you and I'll give you this sense of enoughness, the sense of provision. You'll begin to know it. You'll begin to feel it. I'm not saying that it's going to overwhelm you. I'm not saying everything turns around and all of a sudden there's this massive outpouring of anything. I'm just saying watch the secret of life as you serve. You let go. I promise I'll catch you.